0: Morning. Great to have all of you here, uh, seeing some new faces this morning in this gorgeous May morning. Welcome to those of you still at home as well. We are in our sixth message in this series called Reconciled Introduced by that uh, bumper. I said six weeks ago when we started this that our salvation, you know, what we have in Christ, is not simply about gaining a place, you know, like you go to heaven when you die. I think that is a piece of, of course, the promise of God. But it's not about simply regaining a place, but regaining a purpose that God has created us all to be a part of. Otherwise, we'd, you know, he'd take you home the day you became a Christian kind of thing. Reconciliation, which is what we've been talking about in this series, requires not only that we seek uh, to restore broken relationships, we talked about that last Sunday, you know, individuals, But also to help do our part in healing a broken world, right, that we still live in here today. You know, doing things that we call compassionate justice in the world. Jesus said, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is coming someday to bring, and he will bring a new world with him, the Bible says. But in the meantime, he wants us to be involved in making this one. A better place. It's part of the reason we're here in this world. You know, before Jesus died uh, for our sins, you know this if you know the story of the Bible, he spent years healing the sick and feeding the hungry and really um, reaching out to the most marginalized, you know, the Syrophoenician woman, the woman at the well, the centurion, and on and on. He was trying to make sending a message there. He, he reached out to the marginalized. Often he spoke truth to power, and he didn't just do that for his sake, he did it for our sake. He said to his disciples, just uh, maybe the night before he was arrested, the, the day before he was crucified, he said, listen, if you believe in me, right? Let's we'll look at this in a second. I mean, if you really believe in me, not just an intellectual assent, but you're really given your life to me. If you believe in me, then you, he said to his, you know, humble disciples, and it, by extension, you and me, you will do even greater things than I have done. I right, think about that. What did he mean by that? And he wasn't just saying that disciples, and that wasn't just a, a prophecy maybe that you saw, uh, you know, illustrated in the, in the 12 disciples or apostles that you eventually saw throughout the course of church history. It's a challenge to every church of every generation, including our own. Today I want to talk about in this series the, what I'm calling the work of reconciliation. What does it call us to do individually and as uh, members of a church and this church? What is the work of reconciliation? How do we help make the world a better place? And one of the Bible's great illustrations in a compact way for this uh, uh, sermon, this idea is, is in Luke chapter 19. Famous story of Jesus and a famous tax collector named Zacchaeus. You have a copy of the Bible, Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, the work of reconciliation. Follow along as I read. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, uh, who Jesus was, but because he was short and could not see over the crowd... But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here I now give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this man too. This man too is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. First thing this passage says to us, I think, listening is Jesus is coming after you. Okay, this is really what the Bible says. Some of we, a, 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 we have strange understandings sometimes of us. So what actually is the gospel? What is the message of the New Testament, right? Here's what the, this says. Jesus Christ is coming after you. I don't go after him. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is not one that seeks after God. No, not one. We have all turned away. All like sheep have turned away. None seek after after him in the truest sense. Jesus Christ comes after you. Perhaps the clearest definition, statement in all of the New Testament of why Jesus came is in this passage, verse 10. You couldn't be clear. For the Son of Man came. Why? To seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to restore the government. He didn't come to you know, clean the polluted waters. He didn't come to upend any particular way of living. He didn't come to institute a, a new uh, government. He came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came. And Zacchaeus, think about this. The person who's illustrating his mission here. It's all done carefully. They could have talked about anybody. But Zacchaeus is chosen. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. It's mentioned in verse 2. And a tax collector, many of you know this, were the most despised people in this community. Okay? Why is that? Well, as many of you know, the Gospels, all the Gospels take place in Israel, right? Right? I mean, Jesus Christ never, maybe he steps over once or twice into Syria. I mean, he lives his entire life. The disciples live their entire life in Israel. At this time, Israel was under foreign occupation. The whole, the whole writings of the New Testament, Israel's under foreign occupation, Roman occupation. So they lived, they had houses, they, they went to the grocery store, but they always were under someone else's thumb. You and I don't know what that's like for the most part. We don't live in a perfect country, but we don't have that kind of scenario. They did. And there was one group of people that you might say that stood between the foreign occupiers and the men and women on the street, and those were tax collectors. Tax collectors. These men, most of them I'm sure were men, tax collectors, what they did was this. They made a deal with the occupiers. And the occupiers said, listen, we want to collect taxes, and but we don't want to do it ourselves. We don't want to deal with that frustration, that, that, you know, that animosity every time we come knocking on the door. So we're going to hire people who are from this community, and you're going to be able to line your pockets with money because we don't care what you collect beyond what we're asking for. You can make as much money as you want, but you're going to have to make a deal when this happens, which is guys like this did this. Once you decide to become a tax collector, you know your income's going to come up, but your friend group's going to become smaller. You know, your mother-in-law's going to want nothing to do with you. The country club's going to kick you out. You're not going to be allowed in the synagogue anymore. That's who Zacchaeus was. But here's what's interesting about this passage. Jesus is making a point. You want to know what I'm about? I came to seek and save the lost like this guy. But he's called, in verse 2, a chief tax collector. It's the only time this passage, that, that sentence is used or that phrase is used in the New Testament, right? I'm sure there was more than one chief tax collector, but Jesus is trying to make a point, okay? He wasn't just the, you know, the, the prison guard. He was the warden, right? The chief tax collector. But Jesus says to this guy, verse 5, Zacchaeus, right? Publicly says this. There's a lot of people around. So many people around that Zacchaeus had to climb up to a tree. This is Jesus was kind of a rock star of a manner of speaking. He was a celebrity. So at this point, early on in his ministry, he was healing. People wanted to know who he was. They followed him. Wouldn't you follow someone who was healing sick people and and, and having people come out of their uh, you know their wheelchairs and, and 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 diseases and extending their limbs and feeding thousands of people? Of course you'd follow someone like that. Jesus had a lot of people follow, but Jesus. Jesus, Jesus stops, looks up to this man in front of the crowd. I must stay at your house today. Jesus doesn't say that very often. See, if it was me, right? And I was a little concerned about my reputation. I was concerned about, I might say to my handler, you know, I'd write a note. Some people do this today, you know, celebrity people. They write a note and go, listen, once I'm a quarter mile down the road, I want you to take a note to this guy. Tell him I'd like to talk to him, right? I'm gonna do this privately. But Jesus says, no, I want to stay at your house today. Why does he do that? He's making a statement, Jesus, not just to the people in this community or in this crowd, not just to his disciples. Do you really want to follow me? Do you really know what it means to be a follower of Jesus? But I think he's making it to all people of all time, and it's this, God loves those who most other people, or most others despise. That's the point. He could have picked anybody. It doesn't have to be you know, Zacchaeus. Jesus helped a lot of people, but this story is here to make a point. He picks someone who is the lowest of the low, the most despised person or one of them in this community. and says, listen, I must come into your house today. God loves those other people despised. Zacchaeus had heard, because we know this, I think it's in Luke 7. Already the word on the street was this. Jesus Christ, we don't know who he is exactly, but here's what's, here was the word on the street. He's a friend of sinners. That was his nickname. Now you and I hear that today, 2,000 years later, and we think it's almost a cute thing. It's a, it's a nice statement. You know, we, we, we sort of, we talk about that, like Jesus is a friend of sinners. I should be a friend of sinners. But nobody would want that label in the first century, right? Think about this. To you and me, sinners is sort of a bland word. But I want you to think for a minute don't say it out loud. Who are the most despised people or per- kinds of people that you know? Okay? All of us, you know, it, it, who could be this group, that group, this kind of criminal, this kind of, of, of gross immoral behavior, whatever the case may be, who are the most despised people you know? If you had to fill in the blank and go, these kind of people disgust me. I have a hard time even thinking about this person or this kind of people. That's what it meant to be a sinner or a tax collector. Right, And Jesus says out loud in front of everyone, listen, these are the kinds of people I care about. These are the kind of people I love. And by the way, Zacchaeus, just in case anyone wants to make sure I'm not just doing a good deed, I'm not just handing out a dollar bill, I'm saying, I'm going to come to your house today. And if you don't like it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then go find somebody else to follow. Okay, That's what Jesus is saying here. The work of reconciliation begins with God's pursuit of you. Here's the point. There is nowhere he will not go to save you and to restore you to your purpose. There is nowhere he will not go to save you or to restore you to your purpose. When we started this um, series, uh, no, actually I shouldn't say that. In January, I got a letter from a guy in a a local um, prison in upstate New York, Sent me and I said, Pastor Rob, you don't know me. I know you through a couple different people. I've heard a few messages. Um, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Could I get on a mailing list somehow for the information in your church, the sermons, et cetera? I gave it to my assistant uh, in our office, Deb. I said, Deb, would you uh, call the chap and work this out? She did. I got a note from, she got a note from him that she shared with me several weeks later. Hi, Deb. Thank you for this lesson. He's on the, the, you know, the mailing list now. 2 Corinthians 5.17, which is where we started this whole sermon series six weeks ago. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, old things pass away, all things become new, and all things are, are, are from God who has called us to, the reconciled us through Christ and called us to the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 was the verse which at my darkest moments brought me back to Christ. In December 2015, I drove drunk and was involved in a car crash in which a man died. Someone in the county jail gave me a Bible and out of desperation I started reading and found this, which became my favorite verse. Five and a half years later, it still is. I was under the weight of so much guilt, shame, and remorse in the days and weeks following the crash. I look back now and see the extent of the miracle of reconciliation I was granted from Christ. The biggest hurdle I encountered was forgiving myself. I finally realized that if God could forgive me and forget my sins, who am I not to forgive myself? This also allowed me to accept that forgiveness does not remove accountability. So I am serving my sentence with a peace I didn't believe would be possible. Thank you for making me part of your congregation through these lessons. God never stops surprising me with the blessings he gives me Signed, Chris. I read that with his permission. The point is this. Jesus Christ is coming after you, not just to forgive your sins, okay, but to restore you to service, right? To restore you to service. And how well you do that, how well I do that, is related to how tied I am to knowing and experiencing his love, right? Jesus Christ is coming after you. Second point in this sermon passage. If your heart has changed, your world should change too. This is the big point of this passage. If your heart has changed, your world should change too. This is not only in one of the greatest passages, I think, or one of the clearest on the mission of Jesus on the nature of saving faith. Saving faith, okay, this is a message for all of us, right? Uh, even those of us raising kids, you know, it's a challenge raising kids. Are they really getting it? Are they just coming to church? Are you just coming to church, student, teenager? Has it really gotten a hold of your heart, right? Some of us were raised in the church and we're still in the church. Has the church really gotten a hold of us? I'm talking about the message of the gospel. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's a change of worldview, okay, Worldview. I'm not talking about you change your political party and you know you you stop uh, hanging out at the this or that place. It's a change of world. Has your worldview changed since you became a follower of Jesus Christ? One of the fullest demonstrations, fullest of how someone should respond to the gospel, is in this very very small but powerful story, verse eight in particular. What does he say? Number one, he acknowledges his failures. Right. And it's not this is this isn't just some quiet thing. Oh, by the way, Jesus, can I speak to you privately? Will you come to my house? Can we go to the prayer room? (laughs) No. Look, Lord, he stood up. Why did he stand up? Because he's in a public gathering. Okay? He was not only acknowledged his failures, he publicly declared his faith. Right? He wasn't a secret Christian. His neighbors knew he was a follower of Jesus after this day. The people in his office knew he was a follower of Jesus. The people on the bus, the people in his classroom knew he was a follower of Jesus. Is that true of you? Is that true of me? Right. And he did, was, he did more. He, made, he did more than make good and the wrong he had done others. Right? He not only gives away half of his possessions, which is pretty amazing, but who knows? Heck, maybe if you're a zillionaire, that's, a, that's not so hard to do. But then he says, on top of that, if I have wronged anybody, as a tax collector, it's pretty likely, I promise I'm gonna give half of everything I've taken uh, back to people. The Old Testament law, if you're a note taker, Leviticus chapter six, prescribed for this kind of crime, extortion, I think the word is used. If I steal $100 from Manny, and I come back and I'm found out, and I say, I've been caught, I'm gonna give you $120 back. Full plus 20%. He says, if I've rubbed off anybody, I'm gonna give them four times what I've taken, right? This isn't a guy following the law. This is a faith that reflects a heart that's been given over to God. No one can remain, here's the point, privately righteous while participating in ways that harm other people. We are new creations in Christ. I am, you are if you're a Christian. But we're under continual renewal and construction, right? He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might, the, we might become the righteousness of God. In him it takes time. You know, there's a famous sermon. I don't know if I've ever heard one on it. Uh, in, in, in the Bible, Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is the forerunner of Jesus. You know what that means when I say the forerunner? You know, when somebody is, someone's um, um, coming into town. Say the president was coming to Rochester. Was just making that up. The president's coming to Rochester. They usually send a delegation first, right, to make sure, get all the acts together. The X's and the O's and the security. If, uh, I don't know, uh, 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 LeBron James was coming to Rochester, they'd do the same thing. You know, some great uh, uh, figure's coming. They have handlers. They have advanced teams. John the Baptist was the advanced team for Jesus in the spirit of Elijah, and he, has, he comes and he says, listen, don't. it's not about me. He must increase, I must decrease. And he says, who are you, John? It's not important who I am. I'm a voice of <laughs> one crying in the wilderness. He quotes, I think, out of the 40th chapter of Isaiah. Make the straight the ways for the Lord. Get your act together. Get ready because the king is coming and he has a message, but I want your heart to be prepared for it. And then he gives this message it's in Luke chapter 3. And it's all about repentance. He said, listen, what I want you to do is get ready to change. The, the message of Jesus is not just a little intellectual exercise. It's a change of worldview. It's not just something that you can add to your life. It's not just sort of a, you know, a, some, a, another idea that you can clean up your life that you can add to, your, to, to the way in which you do life. It's going to change everything for you. And he said, I want you to prepare yourself. I want you to have fruits, this is the word he uses, "um, for repentance. He means, in other words, what you believe needs to translate into how you live your life. And if you're not ready to change your life, then don't even bother showing up. That's what he's trying to say. Now, this is what happens, Luke. And when he says this, he adds this too. He says, listen, he anticipates what some people would say. Because everyone in this community is Jewish for the most part, whether they're serious or not. He says, but don't say this. Don't say we have Abraham as our father. Right? Luke chapter 3. And what that meant is, don't say I was raised in the church. Don't say my parents are Christians. Don't say my father or my uncle was a pastor. Don't say that I went to a Christian school. Don't bother saying that, that I'm a child of Abraham. Because if God wants to, he can raise up children of Abraham from these very stones. Either you're, gonna, either you're ready to have your life changed or don't bother. Now, Luke 3, 10. What shall we do then? He made his point. The crowd asked him. Now watch this, uh, these, this advice. It's, it's profound. John answered, John the Baptist, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has, who has food should do the same. Wow, isn't that amazing? Not that tough, but it's real. Now, verse 3, 12. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Even the tax collectors, right? Even these th- cats came, you know? Teacher, they asked, like Zacchaeus, what should we do? Well, we know what's coming here. Don't collect any more than you were required to, he told them. Then some of the soldiers asked him, well, then what should we do? okay. He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now, you know what's interesting about this passage? I don't know, if I've never heard a sermon on it. This, you know, but two of the three of these groups, you and I can write off almost without even thinking about it. Perhaps every person in this room, every person listening to me, uh, get, perhaps, does not extort people for a living. So tax collectors did. Or in this case, these soldiers did. They had military power right? They had power, That's what. They're, and, and because they had military power in the backing of the government, they're, they're, they're under occupied land, they could say if they wanted to, sure you can come in or come out of the marketplace, sure you can do this or do that, but you need to pay me. It's called extortion. Tax collectors the same way. So I can say, well listen you know, uh, I, I, don't, I don't do what a tax collector does, I don't do what a soldier does. But is there anyone in this room or anyone listening to me that doesn't fit the first category? I don't think so. If you are, you're, I'd be shocked. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. I don't think there's a person in this room who doesn't have more clothes in their closet than they need or more food in their house than they need. And you say, well, listen, don't bother with me. I worked for it. Don't meddle with my uh, hard-earned cash and goods. Let me say this. Quote the great Barry Switzer, <laughs> if you know Barry Switzer. There's a lot of people who were born on third base and spend their whole life telling other people how they hit a triple. Guess what? You didn't hit a triple, either did I. You were born on third base. A lot of you were. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus, Right? If I got two shirts, Paul says 1 Corinthians 4 7. What do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it from God, why do you boast like it's yours? You got two shirts, it's time to give one away. Okay? This is what it means. If God has changed your heart, it should change your world too. There's a book, just mentioned very, very quickly, a minute or two, that was written eight, nine years ago called Radical Reconciliation. And it was talking about this bigger work of what does it mean to be to do the work of reconciliation, to help build a broken world as a follower of Jesus. The two guys that wrote it, De Young and Bozak, De Young, white theologian from Minnesota, Bozak, um, a pastor in South Africa. They were trying to talk about reconciliation. And they did it. It's a famous book, or to a degree. They spent about a third of the book talking just about. The story of Zacchaeus. A couple of quick principles from this book, just to give you. Uh, uh, in other words, they're covering all three of the characters, in categories of Luke chapter three. A couple of things: one, reconciliation. This is their work. Requires we uncover the wrong. Zacchaeus acknowledged that what he done was wrong. He stole. I. He he extorted. He cheated. He betrayed. He doesn't blame the system. All right. I think our systems. All of them are imperfect, but he takes personal responsibility for his wrong. Second, reconciliation is not cheap, they said. Without restitution, reconciliation is not possible. It's not complete. Zacchaeus doesn't just give away half of his possessions. Grand gesture. He says, if I've individually taken from anybody, I'm gonna give back them four times what I've taken. It's not cheap. So reconciliation may require a loss of power. Think about this. Zacchaeus, I promise you, after this grand public gesture in front of all these people, many of whom he had extorted, and he makes this gesture, I'm going to give back four times. Let me tell you something. He handed in his papers that day. He wasn't working for the Roman government that day. His fat cat salary went down overnight. My guess is the lake house went up for sale, (laughs) and maybe the boat too, okay? Reconciliation may require a loss of power. When I moved to Dallas and I lived there, um, it was only, this was in the 1990s, not that long ago. Some of you are like, I was just born in the 19, wasn't that long ago, okay, 1990s, okay. I was shocked when I found out through some friends that there were not one, not two, but three prominent, now this is true today, three prominent country clubs in Dallas that no Jews were allowed to be a part of. Now, it's against some you know, law, but laws don't always stop people from being prejudiced, right? I just remember hearing that. I thought, you're kidding me. Is this the dark age? I remember thinking to myself, this is 1995 you know, or whatever. Listen, here's, but here's the question I thought to myself. I, I wasn't a member of any of those clubs. <laughs> I was nowhere near. I couldn't even you know, go to dinner there. But, uh, uh, but here's what I remember thinking to myself. If I was... A member of that country club, and I had an experience like this one. Would I continue to be a member of that country club? Would there be implication? Well, well, I have to stay here, Rob, because you know this is half of my business comes from this place. I have to stay here because I have to keep up this. You know, this is I got I got to make my nut every month, <laughs> whatever the case may be. Right? Reconciliation may require a loss of power. Last, reconciliation brings a new identity. In offering him salvation, listen, this guy gets a new identity. He went from being called Zacchaeus the tax collector to a son of Abraham. He went from being called Chris the criminal, my friend, to be called a son of Jesus Christ. Brings a new identity. Jesus Christ is coming after you. If he changes your heart, friend, it's supposed to change your world too. Lastly, it's our job to seek and to save the lost. I just have a couple of minutes, listen carefully. It's our job, talk about the church, to seek and to save the lost. In the end of this account, an outsider, a total outsider, you couldn't be more outsider than the chief tax collector, becomes an insider. Think of this moment, if you're a disciple of Jesus, your whole world to has turned on its head in one day. Jesus said to him, "Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, comma two, comma by the way, take a breath, you know, this man too is a son of Abraham." Wow. Well, I don't like that kind. Well, then I don't like you, <laughs> you know. So Jesus, "This is what I came for to seek." And to save the lost. And you know what's interesting? Salvation has come to this house. Some of us think, you know, we grew up in a, in a church. Salvation meant where you go when you die, right? As I said when I started this sermon. But guess what? When salvation, today salvation has come to this house. Did he die and go to heaven that day? I don't think so. The word salvation is translated many times in the book of Luke, other things, made well, healed, made whole. The point is this, the whole of life is affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a foretaste of the reign of God. The church has now become the means of restoring the lost and healing the broken. Listen, we just did Good Neighbor Day. James Chase mentioned it. 200 of you were there. Thanks for coming. Why do we do that? It wasn't for brand awareness. But Browncroft needs to... Um, We we need to get on the website of the town. It wasn't for brand awareness. It was so we can get to better know and to better serve the people in this community. I'm talking about Penfield, Webster, Pittsburgh, whatever the case may be, the people where many of us live. Let me say something about the people where many of us live. Their lives are imperfect and their hope starved. Don't be fooled by zip codes. Don't be fooled by zip codes. That's why. why. Why? The same The same thing is true for why we're involved in the Beechwood neighborhood in 441, why we're involved in the city school district for teachers and students, why we're involved where many men and women in this room or in this church write letters regularly and pray for people involved in the county jail. Why? Because we've been called to be a part of helping to rebuild the world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh-huh. James Chase mentioned in that um, Video, Flower City Work Camp Weekend Edition. Let me just take a minute, right? I'm the pastor; I can do that, right? You're not going anywhere. No, but let me just take a minute. Uh, uh, you know, what is Flower City Work Camp Weekend Edition? I have to rebrand it because many of you are Browncrofters or even Rochesterians. You know, you know what this thing is: this week-long thing, 800, 1,000 kids, adults. You take off a vacation. And those who are involved are, are the, you know, the Gary Smiths, the you know, the the, the Ken Kennedys, the John, whatever people who, who are professional remodelers. Weekend Edition is not that. Weekend Edition just happens to have the same name. It's, it's 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 ministering to the same group of people that is folks in the city, particularly in the city, who 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 need some help, their home. But these are smaller jobs. They're one-day jobs. They're, if you know how to hold a paintbrush and they have rovers, you can do it. Your small group can do it. So Alyssa Catanzaro that runs this, I asked her Friday, how we doing? 10 houses, Mike Pitts and I and our team said, we, excuse me, we want to, in this new ministry, weekend edition, this one-day event for small groups, for individuals, families, you can take your kids, whatever. James Chase probably had his kids, Jason Harris. You can do this. Um, We want, it's one day, these are small projects that don't even make the Flower City Work Camp um, ministry because those are all four- or five-day projects or three-day projects. These are real small ones, right? And this is for everybody. Mike says, we want to have 100 houses in the next year or two, okay? 100 houses. This summer, we did 10. And Alyssa says, we have two or three signed up for next Saturday. Mike, how are we going to get to 100? (laughs) We're at 13. I say I think we have a communications problem. So here's what we're going to do. Here's house number three, okay? I'm taking one on this Saturday. Let me tell you something. I can paint, you know, I mean, if like, if you want to paint like the molding on my, that's, that's about as much as, but that's all I can, I can do that. And so I'm taking, I, want, I need some of you, browncroft.cares, that are, to join. I need a team, number one. And then I need some others of you here, maybe, I'm listening online, those in your pajamas, you're in this game too. (laughs) I want you also. All you need to do, and let me say this, it's summer, it's beautiful, I bought mulch yesterday, like you did, haven't done it yet, but I bought it. (laughs) Let me tell you something, you can spend one less day doing mulch, one less day doing golf, and I promise you this, I promise you this, if you do this, You'll end up tired, maybe. Maybe a, a nail hole in your finger or something. I don't know. But I, I promise you, you'll finish this day and go, this was one of the most meaningful six hours I've spent in months in my life, right? Because you're gonna begin to experience a little bit more of what you were made to do. So any takers, I never do this in church. Who wants to take it? a house on? Anybody. If you feel the Lord's calling you to do it, Browncroft Cares, but wow, there's one. Thank you right there. We got one right there. Way to go. Anybody else? Wow, I see another hand up there. Look at this. There's two people. Kurt Jones over there. See, I know your name. Now you're on the hook. Okay, so listen. Those of you who signed up, go to browncroftcare.org. There's another hand right over here. I love it. Go on to Browncroft Care. Another one back there. Look at this. Unbelievable. You guys beat the 9 o'clock service. I love that. So what we're going to do is we want to get all these 10 houses done. And we hope this is just the beginning. This isn't just one event. My theory is, or my my theory, my my prediction is, Flower City Work Camp weekend, it's just one ministry. It's just one way. I think it's going to overtake Flower City Work Camp, the the week thing. The Flower City Work Camp, which is awesome, one of the best things this church does, does 50 houses or 42 a year, whatever it is, Josh. What's the number, 50-ish? Yeah. So I think if we want to really get into this game, anybody can do it. Mickey Pitts, who's the, the genius behind this, who organized this, so well organized, this thing, uh, Fowler City WordCamp Edition. I think we can do 100 houses every year. Is there enough houses in Rochester? I think there are. Amen? I want to close with a quote. I didn't do it last service. I'm going to do it this service. It's really for all of us. It's from the great Victor Frankl. If you don't know Victor Frankl, Uh, died in the late 90s, but lived a long life, Austrian doctor, spent years of his own life as a teenager in the death camps in World War II, lost members of his family, his father, his brother, maybe his sister. He wrote a book that some people say was one of the best books in the 20th century called Man's Search for Meaning. I have no idea what his personal faith was, but he said this quote, which I came across recently. When a person can't find a deep sense of purpose they distract themselves with pleasure i thought if there was ever a, an idea that would fit the 20th cent first century i think this is it right we are addicted to we can there's so many ways to distract ourselves right from the underlying anxiety of our life making a difference oh my goodness but what let's not be those kinds of people Let's be people that understand and enter the true purpose you were made for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Father, we thank you for this day. Be with us, we pray. We love you. We need you. Help us, Lord, to become more and more the men and women, young and old, uh, the body of Christ that you want us to be in this community. In Jesus' name, amen.